Hello, everyone, and welcome to another new perspective, the podcast that brings you wisdoms and perspectives from all walks of life. Is get your kind of point of view on, um, I guess, mortgages and like maybe help people understand the process of doing all of this. So myself, I've actually owned, I built my my first house back when I was 20 years old. Wow. So, but I was given the property from my dad. And it gave me some equity from the property, which let, let me get a loan. And then that's how I did that the first time. Um, and then the second time when I moved to Washington State in Tacoma, um, I actually bought a house out there. And what was interesting about that process was that I actually sold the house six months prior to the 2008 crash. Mm-hmm. So I bought it just before that. But of course, we all know just before that, the loans weren't exactly done properly or legitimately. Right. So there's an interesting little story is that um, after I had moved away, a friend of mine who also used the same mortgage guy that I did, she goes, hey, um, check this newspaper article out. And she sent it to me. And it was Uh-oh. he was the first guy prosecuted in the state of Washington for bad loans. So and it was the guy that did my loan for me. And I remember sitting there with him and he was like, oh, that number doesn't, let's just change this to that. And like, oh, do you have this? I was like, well, yeah, I have some of that. And he goes, well, okay, that's fine. We'll just use that as this. We want to appreciate that. And like, it was this whole little, I felt now sitting back, looking back at it, I was like this, it was very, um, seemed kind of gimmicky because it seemed too easy. Sure. Well, a lot of times, you know, it's been taught to us since we were little that buying a home is part of the American dream. Well, you know, sometimes, when you reach out to somebody, you know, you may not understand if they're an unscrupulous person or not, and you're just thinking that they're going to do everything they can to help you get in the home, when in fact, really, they may have their own interests in mind ahead of yours and are really just curious and just want to get paid as quickly as possible. Um, I was not in the industry back when all that happened. I tried to educate myself on the, on the history of my industry. Uh, a lot of different loan types back then, stated income. You know, and some of those are starting to to circle back. Um, Stated income, for those that don't know, is essentially no income documentation, no verification of the income. Just like the name alludes to, you're telling your loan officer, hey, I make X amount of dollars. And they're basing it off of that. And they would just take your word for it. They wouldn't, um, yeah. they would just write the loan up like, oh, this guy's, this guy must be honest. So like, let's just write it Yeah. Up. I mean, there's, there's a ton of different factors that went into it. I mean, there was certainly predatory lending going on. Um, you know, it seems like nowadays the consumers are taking a little bit more time and educating themselves on the process. But as far as I go, that's part of why I enjoy my career and love what I do especially working with first-time homebuyers because I love educating them on the home buying process. Uh, just a little bit about me. You know, Robio the Mortgage Pro. My name is Robert Yonkowski. Um, I'm with Advantage Lending and have marketed myself as Robio the Mortgage Pro to, to continue to try and solidify a personal brand. But um, I'm a licensed residential loan officer throughout the entire state of North Carolina, so everywhere from the mountains to the coast. Uh, assisting people with purchasing as well as, you know, right now with rates dropping a little bit with home refinances. Um, It is one of, if not the biggest purchase someone's going to make in their life. So I don't treat it lightly. Um, At the same token, kind of going back to what I said about educating yourself on the process, if we look back on something that we may only do once or twice in our life, how much time are we really going to devote to educating ourselves on that process? 
especially one that's constantly evolving, such as the mortgage industry. You know, that's why I stress to my clients or anyone I speak to that you really need to make sure you're working with somebody who cares, who's emotionally invested, who wants the best for you, and preferably, in my opinion, local. You know, I can't send out pre-approval letters that aren't valid, you know, or, you know, not answer someone's call or not be there for them because that reputation will go around pretty quickly, you know, as opposed to trying to go above and beyond for my clients, not working your typical banking hours, being a a resource for them throughout the process um, and going above and beyond. So at the end of the day, you know, asking them for a referral. Yeah, I can totally see where... um you know, you mentioned like it being um, you know, a major purchase or a major like event in your life because you know some people stay in the ha- same house for 20 30 years and it might mm-hmm. be they might only buy one house their entire life yeah and you know we think about like, you just had a child right correct and you have a you have another one on the way yeah. so you know those are two major events in your life that you're going to have one time and and you know situations happen where you have a child that you didn't really plan for but you know, in the grand scheme of it, if you were to plan for the situation to happen, you know, here's something that's going to now alter your life mm-hmm. in some way. You know, and I and I look at buying a house the same way. Like it, the the two that I owned, you know, really made a huge difference in my life. You know, and um, I think there's a big um, the big piece that I see knowing how to work on a house myself, where first time home buyers they they go into this idea that oh it's going to be cheaper because I don't have to pay as much as I do in rent. To own this house and they're like they want to jump right into it and go oh here's this thing what I want to do and like everybody else is doing it and like the the payments will be lower so I'm gonna buy this house but they're not taking into account if the water heater blows up or you know the roof goes bad or you know something happens that mm-hmm. you know now all that money you were saving or should be saving from not paying rent should have been going into the fact that now you need to spend ten thousand dollars on a roof Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly different avenues, you know, for a roof, depending on if it's just due to old age or if there's been hail damage, you may be able to reach out to your insurance provider, you know, see what your deductible is. Is it worth you filing a claim? Is it worth you trying to fix it yourself? Me personally, I'm not very handy and you know, I'm okay with admitting that YouTube is one of my best friends and trying to fix stuff at the house. Uh, my wife gives me far more credit than I probably deserve. Well, I learned I learned tons of stuff. Like when I, when I moved to, uh, I learned how to do uh, plastic plumbing when I was in Ohio. I was taught my whole life as a child how to do, uh, you know, basic PVC plumbing. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to, to Washington State and everything out there is copper. And this uh, guy asked me, he was like, hey, can you help me replumb my house? Or like, you know, move the stuff around. I was like, yeah, I can do some plumbing. And I get down there and I was like, I have no idea how to do copper plumbing. So I went on YouTube and sure enough, like you find all these videos and if you have any sort of like mind, you know, or creative mind, you're going, oh, I get it. Okay, that makes sense. And then you do it a few times and all of a sudden you're, like, you're not a master at it, but like sure. figure it out. So, but for things that are beyond my scope, you know, I actually have a home warranty. You know, I pay uh, for that home warranty. You know, generally you're looking around five, six hundred bucks a year. Um my hot water heater went. You know, my house is 11 years old, so everything's going to kind of start getting ready to be on the tail end of its life. So the home warranty, um, it's a $75 service fee for the one particular that I have. Um, and then they come out, diagnose the problem. If they're unable to, to fix it, you know, then they will replace it. So um, some feedback I've heard is they will try to replace every piece on the item that isn't working before they'll give you a new one prior to replacing it right um but you know there's avenues to to help with that and and i i can 
definitely agree with that statement, Joe. You know, and I think some of that just comes down to the person themselves. Because, you know, I could say that if someone's renting and they're not saving any money and God forbid they have, you know, they get in a car accident or just something goes on their car, you know, they may not have the money to fix that, you know, but there's, I'll give you an example. I was speaking to a gentleman and um, he was interested in getting pre-approved. Unfortunately, his roof actually did have, you know, quite a bit of hail damage and um, the cost, you know, with the insurance company, he had a $2,000 deductible. Well, paying that really set him back, and unfortunately, is gonna, you know, it caused him to miss a couple mortgage payments uh, within the last 12 months, and that's gonna prohibit him from buying a new home. Okay, so this is the house he already owned. Then. Correct. Okay, and I'm not trying to be too brash here, but you know, in in my personal opinion, if an event like that is gonna set somebody back that far coming out of pocket two grand to fix the roof perhaps they shouldn't be buying a home or perhaps you know then he needs to stay where he's at instead of looking to increase his housing payment even more you know i'm not at the same token i'm not here to tell people what they should and shouldn't do i'm here to provide guidance and you know be a resource and answer any questions they may have but i think that's very important i think i think um there's enough people preying on those that are trying to just push somebody into a home, Mm -hmm. right, is that, you know, this is a big adventure. This is a big journey, a big milestone in in your life. And, like, I think we need to really focus more on people that are willing to give the care and give, like, the the attention to detail and, like, the understanding of it going, you know, I know you really want to do this, and I know that, you know, it means a lot to you to maybe change homes and, you know, and, and, like, maybe your family's growing and need a bigger home mm-hmm. but to really have someone to go you know look i'm not trying to push you away from this idea but i'm trying to be very real with you and say like this you might want to reconsider you know give it a year maybe get yourself back on track put some effort into it and go where am i at in a year and go maybe i have t- maybe i had a windfall or maybe like you know i had i got something figured out or maybe it was something you told him Mm-hmm. That's it was like, man, you're right. Like I waited a year, I was able to buy a better house than I even thought I was going to buy the first time. Based sure. On your information. Yeah, and you know, sometimes, oftentimes, actually, you know, when I speak to folks, they may not be ready to purchase right now, but we put a game plan in place for them. You know, we've got plenty of tools available. If you know, for whatever reason, they need some help with their credit, we can provide you know excellent guidance from there. Um, or if, you know, the debt to income is too high, you know, for a particular program, we can discuss other options for them as well. So, you know, that, that's just all part of my day-to-day stuff. I mean, I, I love what I do, you know, whether it's a gift or a curse, I get very emotionally invested in my files because as you said, you know, we, we've kind of driven this point into the ground, but it, it's a huge moment in someone's life. It's so exciting for me to be a part of that. Like, I love attending my closings, and sometimes I don't get to meet a client face-to-face until I see them at the closing because all the communication has been either over the phone or via email. Perhaps they're relocating in from out of state. So just seeing the, the smile and the joy on their face, especially some folks who, you know, maybe we've been working on a game plan for the past 12 months, and now finally they're closing. And seeing the look and just, you know, they never thought they'd even be able to buy a home. And to just see the pure joy on their face just yeah, is, sure. is my why. You know, yeah. my clients are my why. And just 
it, it brings me joy seeing how appreciative they are and just how thankful they are. And, um, you know, and I thank them because the joy that I get out of it keeps me going. You yeah. know, it's, it's just one of the many things I love about my career. So, um, there was a, there was a quote I heard, um, probably a couple of years ago now, and it took me, it's like one of those things you, you hear in such a twisted way that it takes a little bit to kind of process. And it was, uh, we only keep what we give. Mm. Yeah. Right. And I was like, well, how do you keep what you give? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And I was like, wait, because you give, yeah, what you keep is, is the feeling, is the joy and the gratitude and, the, and this feeling of accomplishment that you've gained from helping another person. Mm-hmm. Right. And like that, that feeds into like what you just said is like, you know, that gives you that feeling. And now you got to keep that and take that with you. And then what I feel it does it with, even with what I do, is that it helps me kind of like, it helps me treat the next person that much better. Yeah. Right? It, it's, it's like this cycle of like it builds, right? Like, man, I felt really good about doing that for you that I want to do it even better the next time. Kind of like it's a similar way of paying it forward. Yeah. You know, you yeah, put absolutely. good karma out there, good energy out there, it'll come back to you. Um, you know, some of the other items as far as, you know, you, when you and I were discussing about doing this, you mentioned about kind of going through a little bit of the process. Now, obviously, from a lending standpoint, I may be a little biased. Um, and to be frank, there's no shows on HGTV about about loan officers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about the, the realtor, the real estate agents. That's the sexy part of the transaction. The money isn't necessarily. Um, however, you know, the first step people generally do is they just look online. They're looking on whether it be Zillow, Realtor.com, you know, a plethora of different sites. So if someone sees a property and they're like, wow, I really like that. I want to put an offer in. Okay, well, in order to put an offer in, you got to submit a pre-approval letter. So have you even spoken to a lender at that point? Speaking to a lender has to be your first move. Otherwise, how do you even know what your budget is? How do you know how much money you're going to need? How do you know what your payment's going to be? How do you know if a USDA program with no money down, is that going to be better than going conventional and putting 5% down? You don't know. Until you go through and you have these conversations with your local mortgage expert and, you know, asking the right questions. There's a, a cliche, you know, in real estate saying that that home you looked at today that you wanted to sleep on and put an offer in tomorrow, somebody looked at yesterday, slept on it last night and put an offer in today. Mm-hmm. Especially in today's market, it is a very aggressive seller's market. So you have to have your ducks in a row. I actually had that experience because it was like about a year, a little over a year ago, I think I was looking looking at houses. No, actually, geez, like time goes really fast. So it was a few years ago already. And it was like that. I, I, hey, I want to check this house out. And there would be 10 people there already. Or, you know, there was somebody that would go, well, we're going to buy it in cash, you know, where I still had to do all the lending pieces of it. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, we're just going to take the cash. And I was like, all right. So it was this battle of like, could I get an offer in quick enough? Was it the right offer? Did I have the right variation between cash and, and, and loan or down payment or like you said the, um, the due diligence, mm-hmm. right? Like there, there was all these pieces that because I did it two other ways before, I don't think I even realized how much went into the actual process of it. You know, yeah. I think that's very important for people to know. And it does change, you know, just uh, back in October of 2016 or 2015, 
um, but TRID was implemented, you know, some disclosures that have been around for a long time, you know, no longer existent and been replaced by some other ones and, you know, different uh, time restraints for disclosures. You know, there's all kinds of things that are going to change that. But, you know, if once you speak with your loan officer, the application itself can literally take a matter of minutes. For me personally, it'll take me 10 minutes to knock out over the phone, maybe less, depending on questions some way have. It's going to consist of your name, social, date of birth, two-year residence history, two-year employment history, income, assets, and some government monitoring questions sprinkled in. It's, it's really not as treacherous as people think. Once we have the application, that's going to actually tell us a lot. You know, we're going to know what we're looking at as far as debt to income, what the budget needs to be, what that is in relation to your payment, you know, because there's a lot of third parties out there. And, you know, Zillow, for example, you know, they give you an estimated payment. Well, one thing they don't mention in that estimated payment, so there's a few assumptions. They assume you've got 800 credit scores. They assume you're putting 20% down. You know, those are two huge variables right there. Yeah, absolutely. That, that would change a lot, you know, because 20% down, that's a huge chunk of money that people aren't really realizing. They're seeing that, like, well, I'm paying $1,200 a month right, uh, rent right now, you know, and this estimated payment's only, like, six ninety nine or six seventy five, And I'm like, I can totally buy that. Yeah. You know, but you're not counting in, like, the homeowner's insurance. You're not counting in, you know, taxes. You're not counting in all these things that, you know, it takes that six seventy five, Or if you have a lower in, lower or lower credit score, all of a sudden, you know, that now it's bumped up a little bit more, you have a higher interest rate, and then you have like, mm-hmm. you know, or you don't have, you only put 5% down, or maybe you can only put, you know, maybe, maybe you're doing a VA loan, I think it's like 0% down, mm-hmm. right? So it's not 675 anymore. Correct. Yeah, and I mean, there's just so many variables that, you know, and nothing against people, because as I said earlier, you know, why are you going to spend hours and hours educating yourself on this process you're going to do once or twice in your life. And then when you do take the time to start doing some research online, as I'm sure neither you or I are surprised, there can be a lot of conflicting information online. Yeah, what's even true online? Right. Right? Because it's all like, here, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, you know, and like you can can spin it however you want to get someone to click on your your product. Mm Mm-hmm. But are you really selling that product? Or are you just, you know, is it clickbait or is it, you know, what's what's real or not? Correct. Yeah, I'm try not to, to name any particular uh, competitors, but, uh, you know, some may have a really large marketing budget, you know, and they have really hilarious commercials and they got really slick apps and all this and that, you know, all those costs are going to be allocated somewhere. Yeah, and they're absolutely. generally got to pay for them somewhat. So. Yeah, they're generally reflected in their rates. You know, so it's uh, an old sales adage. Everyone's something cheap, fast, and easy. You're not getting all three. I don't care who tells you you are. Yeah. But you can get two out of the three. If you want it cheap and easy, it's not going to be fast. Yeah. If you want it fast and cheap, it's not going to be easy. You know, so go through the options. But again, this is just stuff that you talk through with your loan officer, trying to figure out what mortgage is best suited to fit your needs. Now, Having these conversations early on prevents a lot of surprises down the road. You know, it's maybe a little bit corny, but something that's always resonated with me is the five P's. Proper planning prevents poor performance. The more groundwork we lay up front, the more streamlined the process is once you're under contract. So for me, my personal preference, I may ask for a little bit more documentation up front than most 
speaking with some other folks in the industry, it seems like some of them are a little bit scared to rock the boat. They don't want to ask the borrowers for much. I don't see the harm in that. This is what we're here to do. Right. I so want to set a, you up for success. No, exactly. It's a it's it's a business transaction start start off, but it's also, you know, you want to make sure they have the information they have and, and why waste everybody's time? It's wasting your time and it's wasting their time. Mm-hmm. And you're getting their hopes up. You know, that you're going, oh, yeah, based on the, the small amount of data you gave me, we can get you into this. But you can go, based on the large amount of data you gave me up front, I can be more secure in saying that here's the better route sure. based on what you have, right? So I can see where, you know, really having the, the extra information up front would make a huge difference, making sure they have, they can make a credible decision, you know, a big decision of their life. Sure. No, absolutely. And it, and for me, you know, it comes down to asking the right questions as well. Like when we get the income, you know, are you straight salaried? Are you paid hourly? What's your rate? Are you averaging 40 hours? Or you, do you have overtime? You know, or sometimes, you know, I'll have someone complete an application online and unbeknownst to them, they gave me the net figures for their income. When in all actuality for qualifying, we use the gross figures. That's a big difference. Huge difference. Yeah. Now, you know, maybe if it's someone who's self-employed, different story. I'm going to have to review some tax returns. The calculations for the income differ for self-employed borrowers. You know, but a lot of times people don't even know this until they've already gone. They see a property. Oh, 123 Main Street. I'm ready to put an offer in. Okay, have you spoken with the lender? No, not yet. All right, we'll give my guy Rob a call. I call him and they're not ready. You know, or they say, hey, Rob, uh, yeah, I'm self-employed, but my business grossed $250,000 this year. As I mentioned, normally we go by gross with self-employed. It's different. It's the net for self-employed borrowers. So, yes, Joe Smith, you know, who's wanting to buy 123 Main Street, his business might have grossed $250,000, but after all of his write-offs, he net fifty grand, And that fifty is what we can use to qualify him on. Okay. He's not too happy with me at that point, but the fact of the matter is he didn't lay the groundwork and know this ahead of time. So now he's upset because he can't put an offer in on this home because he thought he'd be able to qualify no problem. Yeah, I can see where a lot of times um, it can be, we have this uh, consumerism mindset where we can go to the store and I see what I want. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I have just enough money in my account. I have 100 bucks. the product's $75 plus tax. Got it. I can buy it. I see it. Buy it. Done. Yeah. Right, but you're buying real estate, right? It's it's not wham bam thank you ma'am. It's like, I want that house. How do I do it? Here, well just write me a check. But even even if you have the cash, it's still not a, it's not a, a quick deal. It's not like walking into the store and buying a house. Yeah, that's that's we could probably eat up a whole another hour talking about yeah. that. You know, and that's probably more not necessarily a generational thing, but a human condition of people who feel um, that owning a house is a right as opposed to a privilege. Um, so, yeah, you just have to make sure, you know, it's very, unfortunately, it's rare that I'll get a call from somebody and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm looking to buy a house in, within the next year. You know, and some loan officers may say, why am I talking to you now, you know, 12 months from now? I, I'm, that's refreshing to me. This is somebody who knows that this is a process. Maybe they've got some things to work on and they've got ample time. So let's lay the groundwork now. Yeah, your credit's not bad at all. But if we got 12 months, we can get it even better for you and get you better terms when the time comes and you're ready to pull the trigger. 
Right. And then you're earning their respect by actually nurturing the relationship for 12 months, too. Yeah. You are going, oh, I don't, I don't want you because you're not going to buy in the next 90 days. Right. Or 60 days or whatever. So if you, if you work with them, like, hey, where are you at right now? Like, okay, so I got this. Here's, here, here's where we're at. Here's what I've been working on. Here's the savings I have now. Here's this. And you're like you're you're culminating, you're building this thing up over twelve months. And now now when it comes time to pull the trigger, you're like, man, like we have look look what we did. Sure. Right? We built this thing. And now and now when they this delayed gratification of twelve months and they walk into this house that's way more house than they ever dreamed of, because what they're looking at twelve months ago were like they couldn't afford anything that was, you know, what they really wanted. They were just trying to get a house. Mm-hmm. But twelve months later they might go, Wow, because I did all this, I spent the time doing it, and I earned it. Yeah. Right? And now I bought a house, like, way more house than I ever thought I would ever have. One one topic I wanted to touch on, too, because it's with first-time homebuyers, uh, I'm sure this kind of comes as no surprise, but one hurdle that we're seeing more often than not is student loan debt. So a lot of times people think because their student loans may be in deferment, so they're not having to currently pay on them, that they're not going to impact them buying a home. Unfortunately, that couldn't be further from the truth. So the different loan program guidelines pertaining to student loans vary a little bit, VA being the most lenient with it, which as it should be, I suppose. Um, But generally, most of the loan programs, if it's anything other than a fixed, fully amortized payment, so meaning if it's on income-based repayment, if it's in deferment, if it's in forbearance, they don't care. Student loan debt's the only debt you will ne- can't get rid of. You can't even include it in a bankruptcy. So they have to count a certain percentage toward the debt to income. So for example, with someone who may have $100,000 in student loan debt, we have to count 1% of the total balance toward the debt to income. So in that example, we're talking another thousand dollars a month i gotta hit them for on their debt to income oh wow that's true that's a huge game changer yeah that changes a lot because that's a whole that could be not that's a mortgage that, payment that's a mortgage payment exactly on a, on a smaller home that's a thousand bucks a month you, yeah. you buy a home and that's your mortgage so yeah, yeah it's it's definitely a pain point um for many but furthermore you know once once we go through the application process and you are actually officially pre-approved from there, you're ready to start shopping. There you've got your letter. You see a house and you want to pull the trigger and put an offer in on it, you've got your letter. For me personally, I actually don't put the amount my clients are pre-approved for on the letter. When I issue it, I do include the amount in the body of the email as well as copying the real estate agent on it so they're kept in the loop as well. But I don't put the amount on it specifically because I don't want my clients to lose leverage. You know, if I put... You know, Joe Smith is approved for $500,000, but he is interested in purchasing a home at 300000 I would hope, but in this day and age, cannot assume that everyone is going to be, you know, honest and conduct their business with integrity. So I don't want somebody being like, uh, well, Mr. Smith, you know, we do have multiple offers on this property. I see you're approved for quite a bit more, and I think if you increased your offer, it might help get the job done. We're losing leverage. We're showing yeah. our hand. Absolutely. So yeah. that's why I don't put the amount on there. But So once your offer is accepted, you and the seller have agreed to terms. More Oftentimes, the real estate agents are the ones negotiating on your behalf. You know, that's when the fun starts. You know, that's when we're looking to lock in your interest rate. 
You know, that's when we are issuing disclosures. Um, I've, in this meantime, been gathering documentation. The, the basics are your driver's license, 30 days of pay stubs, 60 days of bank statements, two years of tax returns, two years of W-2s. That's the, the gist of it. Once I have those items on top of those disclosures back when we're under contract, that constitutes a file that's ready to be submitted. So when I say submitted, I send it into my processing team. They're ordering the title work from the attorney. They're reaching out to the insurance agent for the declarations page. We're getting the appraisal ordered. You know, the clock's ticking. Once we got that contract, the clock is ticking. So they're ordering all that right up front, and then we're getting in line for underwriting. Um, as a correspondent lender, we underwrite all of our loans in-house. Uh, so we're, we're big enough to have that and also bankroll and fund our own loans. But we're small enough to be local and have some flexibility. Um, so once we receive what's called a conditional approval from underwriting, that's essentially my underwriter saying, okay, you know, based on this information provided, I conditionally approve this loan. In order to issue the clear to close, I need bop, bop, bop. And it's usually somewhere between two to five items. Okay. Oftentimes, it's just an updated bank statement. Maybe we need another pay stub. Or perhaps, you know, we need a letter of explanation or, or something else. Once we have that list, the quicker we get those items turned around, the quicker we're submitting for a clear to close. Okay. So as much as I'd love to think what I do is rocket science, I know it's not. It comes down to being organized, planning, knowing the guidelines, knowing your craft, putting in your 10,000 plus hours. But, um, you know, it, as long as you do the proper planning ahead of time, there's not going to be or not as many surprises down the road. One of the interesting things in real estate is, you know, when there's so many parties involved, you have an attorney, you have an insurance agent, you have a buyer, a seller, a listing agent, a buyer's agent, a loan officer. There are a lot of variables, majority of which are out of everyone else's control, like the property being one of them, for example. So, you know, it's, uh, it's important to stay ahead of the game as far as pace and speed go. So that if there is a hiccup, something comes up, we've got ample time to adjust and it's not impacting our close date. Yeah, it's kind of like that pivot. You hit that point where, you know, because that's, that's the thing with dealing with that many people and that many hands in the, in the pot at one time, you know, there, there's, there's so many uncontrolled variables to it. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's like the matter of fact, there's the house there, but, and there's you and you know what you're thinking, but like you don't know what everybody else is thinking. You don't know how, you don't know if they're diligent, if they're work. You don't know if you're, if they're like, you know, if their systems are down pat or, or how quick they are to, to move things through. But I'm sure that you work with a lot of the same people. You said you guys you do a lot of the stuff yourself in-house. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that helps a lot with cutting back on some of the of the uncontrolled pieces of it. It does. Yeah, the, the, more, the more variables outside of your control that you can limit, the better. You know, you and I have talked about this with your, your experience in logistics. You know, I think the more the more experience you have, you know, the more scenarios you see play out, you know, you, you're conscious of how to combat those for lack of a better term. You're like, okay, you know, I've been down this road before we can go route a, B or C. And that's one thing that I I take a lot of pride in, you know, is I enjoy the problem solving aspect of it. So if we've got something that comes up, you know, a borrower, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to open up another credit card, you know, while I'm in this process, or whatever the case may be. So it's okay. You know, we're keeping everyone calm. There's nothing to be up in arms about. Here's what we can do. We can move forward with option A, option B, or option C. 
and I will let the consumer be the one to make that decision. Now, they'll oftentimes ask me my opinion on which route I would go, and I'll let that opinion be known. Um, but I'm never going to present a problem to my clients unless I've got multiple solutions for them. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, it really comes down the same with, it, with logistics because, I mean, what you're doing is logistics, you know, and, like, the best way to do it is to have, you know, that, that does come from experience because you have to go, oh, yeah, back a year ago I went through the same thing. It's a little different, but there's some, there's some similarities to it. We can mm-hmm. kind of go down this road instead of that road. You know, I would say with logistics, too, uh, I would always say, like, I'd had plan A, plan B, and plan C, but then you have A1 and A2, B1 and B2, and C1 and C2. Right, because you're trying to like predict or plan for the future as best as possible. So the more things you know about it, and the more people that you're comfortable working with that you know can can salvage a situation if it happens, is of course the better situation to be in. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And you know, some may disagree with me, but and my wife in particular. <laughs> but uh, you know, one thing that was brought up this morning when you and I met is that you know perfection is the enemy of profitability you know it's oftentimes for me I think it comes down to setting realistic expectations and letting people know like hey here's what you can expect for this transaction on how this can play out you know and I think as long as you do that and you know this can be applied in a number of different professions don't just tell people what they want to hear that's going to get you in trouble real quick you know sometimes like I touched on earlier I'm not going to stand you know, on a soapbox or sit on my high horse and act like, you know, I know what's best for somebody that has only talked to me for 10 minutes. But at the same token, it's part of my job to provide them with all the knowledge, all the resources possible to allow them to make the best decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, this has been great. I really yeah. appreciate you coming in. No, I've enjoyed um, it, Joe. Thank yeah, you for having yeah. me. Yeah, we'll definitely do this again. I'm sure there's, I mean, there, of course, there's tons we can keep talking about. So, but this will give everybody kind of an opening to it. And I want you to kind of let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, sure. So, uh, as I said earlier, my name is Rob Yunkowski. Uh The moniker is Rob Yo, the Mortgage Pro. And uh, you can visit my website at robyothemortgagepro.com. That's R-O-B-Y-O, themortgagepro.com. Or feel free to give me a call at 919-322-8201. But thank you again for having me, Joe. Awesome. And uh, I'll see you guys soon on some uh, future podcasts. Thanks again. Thanks, man. Thank you again for taking the time to listen. I look forward to sharing more with you on future episodes. If you need to contact me, you can reach me at anothernewperspective101 at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Have an awesome day.